This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. Here's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. Oh. They got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Stefan. You're locked into Burgundy Radio. The first episode of the 2018-2019 regular season. The Colorado Avalanche podcast that you tune into for some reason. Um, joining me, as always, are Earl 06. Hey, Earl. How's it going, everyone? And also, Jackie Tiger Vixen, what's up? Hello, all. And we have a packed preview show coming up for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about preseason, about training camp, about what the guys need to do to make the playoffs, about what might get in the way. Um, but before we do that, I believe that somebody had a special thing to say. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, one of my favorite parts of training camp is meeting all the people that we don't get to see throughout the year. And I know there's been a couple of you that listen to the show that approached Rudo and I, and uh, we, I just wanted to take a second out before we got started to just thank you so much for your support. And it means a lot to hear that from all of you. And so I just wanted to give you a special thank you. Um, Rudo wanted to be on this episode, but he wasn't able for some reason, so you'll just have to imagine, um, that my chair isn't that much better than his. (laughs) The chair. All right, so we, um, got into it a little bit on our pre-pre-pre-season show about Colorado Avalanche, um, playoff predictions. Do the Avs return to the playoffs this season? No. No. I think so. I was on team, I like their playoff chances, and um, so after looking at the preseason, has your mind changed on that? Um, for me, I, I'm skeptical on a couple things. I, I, think, I think they'll end up working out, but it's just right now, um, you see a little bit of risk aversion by the staff and the way they've created the lineup, you know, a- as we think it's probably going to go for opening night. And I-, I-, I think it's a little bit worrisome that they're going to um, sort of struggle to do things they need to do, like score and defend um, <laughs> with the way they have the lineup right now. Um, Play hockey. You know, I would... Yep. Um <laughs> You know, we, the goaltending still looks solid. Um, there's some questions lowering the defensive pairs that, that you know, we, we'll, we'll get to. Um, just the way the, the lines are constructed uh, gives me a little bit of pause a, as to what they're kind of thinking each line is going to do throughout the season. So, um, I, I st- you know, I, I think they'll overcome it because I think they're going to, you know, see that some things aren't working and they're going to adapt to it, but... Um, just right now, they're just a little too conservative for me. And I'm still on team no. I will say that at this point in the year when the season's about to kick off, you always feel that twinge of optimism that there's no reason to be negative and this and that. But I'm still not moving my my chips to the other side because I agree with Earl that 
it's going to be huge to see how they handle having expectations and success. And are they going to fall into the same traps of playing to veterans, being more conservative? I don't think they'll completely go full law era, but it's still something they're going to have to overcome. And I just think, I personally think they're just going to have more adversity. I think they're going to have injuries. I know when I say that, you'd say, well, EJ was injured, and so was Barry, and so was Farley. But they didn't have a real forward injury. I I think that's going to be more likely this year. And I just think things are going to have to overcome because they still needed a 10-game win streak to make the playoffs by one point. I think there's going to be more peaks and valleys. And then, obviously, the league just gets better and hey you can have a 90 point season and still have the 10th pick in the draft so i'm not forecasting a bad season by any means but playoffs especially consecutive years of playoffs is is a very big task for this team yeah the avs had their share of injuries last season they but they also had some luck with it like Simeon varlamov would go down and then jonathan bernier would step up and play his best hockey of the season and then he exactly. would go down and varley would be ready to come right back and rock it like they didn't really have bad bad injury luck until the first round of the playoffs when they ended up having to start andrew hammond twice and they lost sam gerrard on top of eric johnson and uh things just got kind of gnarly from there um, but yeah. throughout the season, like the injuries were generally to guys that are definitely really important to your team. But apart from Eric Johnson, they were mostly not like your most important players. Like you didn't see, well, it's just, you know, the, the top, the, the Barry injury didn't, lot. yeah, the, the Barry injury didn't kill him. That's when they went on the 10 game win streak. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause Sam stepped in good enough. Yeah. And, and then Max injury, you know, you'd think that, that would just hurt. be. It hurt, but they, you know, I, they didn't, you know, they didn't collapse. It so, was, and it was three weeks though. So, I mean, right. you, you could say, you could say maybe they were starting to feel it, but, it, but that was just three weeks and, and they did win some games. Right. Yeah. And that was actually, that was when we saw some of the younger guys like Kerfoot and Jost play some of their best hockey of the year. And that, you know, obviously it wasn't enough. Like, you know, if you were going to depend on that for the rest of the season, you're screwed, but. But that kind of um, that put them out of it going into the deadline, and maybe that was a blessing in disguise. Because they were definitely yeah. out of the picture at the deadline at the end of February after that. And then they picked it up after that when they they won all the big games on the road in March and blah, blah, blah. But it's just, you know, if they lose Miko or Mac, and I don't want to guess or predict injuries because that's just bad karma and depressing. But I, I just worry. <laughs> I think there's going to be more holes on the injury front that are going to be harder to overcome. So injury luck is always kind of the unstated thing that every team needs. So what does the, what is it going to take for the Colorado Avalanche to make the playoffs again this season? Obviously you're talking a little bit about being more conservative than we want playing, just maybe being worried about like roles for veterans versus roles for younger skill guys. Um, one thing that I think needs to happen to get the Avalanche there is they need to keep their faith in Sam Girard and he needs to continue um, on the path that he's been on because he has been, like, he was good last season, but he has come back after the summer on a whole nother level. I And I think Girard is the key to them 
eventually taking that next step as a team. That might not happen this year. Maybe he's not ready to really kind of like carry them another notch. But I do think the role that they can put him in, the, the talent he possesses, if they find a way for him to really impact scoring, I don't know if that's going to happen before Barry leaves or not. But yeah, if they can find a way to get Gerard to impact the offense, especially this year, I agree that could make a big difference. Yeah, because I mean, he was, you know, he, he was. I don't know. He he was not very good offensively five 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 v five last year. Um, I mean, his numbers were very similar to Anton Lindholm actually, as far as rates go. And you know, it, and we saw him get better as the year goes on. And even so, he kind of rose to the level of Lindholm. So, um, that tells you how how badly he started and how much he had to overcome just to get to that level. But it also gives you sort of a trajectory for how quickly he might improve this year. So, um, you know, I, I think this is when we really see the upside um, really start to rise with Sam. Um, and, and I still hope that they kind of meet him in the middle because I think the way I think I think he was maybe trying to be a little too cautious last year. But I also just think the way he sees the game and makes plays was not what the others were ready for because you could see him make great passes and they do nothing with them. So I yeah. kind of hope that they're more meeting in the middle that the Gerard's more integrated into kind of what they want to do offensively, but that the forwards are ready for what he's trying to do. Well, I think with Sam, what I want to see is in, and where he really struggled was individual shot generation. You know, I want to see him take a little bit more chance uh, pinching in, you know, hopefully playing with EJ, he's, a, you know, he's able to, to do that with a partner that skates a little bit better and can cover back. Um, so he, he feels a little bit more comfortable sort of drawing into the top of the circles to take a shot rather than, you know, sort of being, you know, 10, 15 feet behind that. And I think that's going to make his shots more effective and allow him to score more points. And that's that something is- that every young player on the app struggled with last year. I mean, it's like Comfer, Kerfoot. Um, Jost, I mean, all the all the very young guys. You look at them, and, and sort of the, being a little bit tentative and in their shot generation is, is, was their bugaboo. And I think and... he's cut a little bit from the Kerfoot cloth because his his talent is in his vision and his creativity. So you don't want him just shoot from the point. Just if you get the puck, shoot it because ultimately they're better if he can use that vision and creativity. That's kind of the meet the halfway that I think needs to happen. Because I agree, he does need to generate shots, but he can't just abandon what he does best just to shoot the puck. Definitely. And I think what uh, Bednar said in preseason when they were asking him about Kerfoot, sort of like, if you have a guy who's a great passer, but all he does is pass, it's it's a little easier for the, def- the defenders to defend that. You know, if, if the threat of a shot isn't there, it makes you a little bit less effective. So I just, you know, I, I want to see Sam, you know, I, I don't want to see him at Barry's level as far as shot generation, but I want to see him sort of, you know, passing Nemeth and, and more, you know, sort of in the Barbario range, you know, which which wouldn't be a huge jump, but it just it's a jump that I think he needs to make just so he's sort of a two-way threat rather than just a passing threat. 
So, and along with the uh, the role for Sam Gerard, we, we look at the way that this roster has been kind of constructed, and we'll get into it um, a little bit later on in the show, but we see how important the next step is going to be for uh, for Alex Kerfoot, too, but also for Tyson Jost. Um, I, th- I really think that a lot of the Avalanche chances this season hinge on that line, as long as they stay together, but specifically on Tyson Jost, because without... Um, without a much better season from him, the Avalanche forward core is looking mighty thin. Well, I'm yeah. going to take a different. I'm going to take a different <laughs> tack there. I think it hinges more on Kerfoot than it does on Jost. Um, I'm I'm kind of all in on Kerfoot. I'm I'm looking for 50 points plus for him, from him this year. He looked fan- really good in preseason. He's been fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and. I know everyone thinks Jost is the center on that line because he takes the face-offs, but Kerfoot was the primary puck mover in the F3 in the defensive zone when they were together. So, I mean, he's running that line, and he ran it well. So I I, I really, you know, I, I'm, I'm on record as hating Wilson and, you know, no. hating the trade and everything like that. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I, I think those... <laughs> I think those guys have a... Uh, you know, th- there are three guys that have complementary skill sets. Um, you know, you don't want Wilson handling the puck much. You know, he can enter the zone okay. That's about the only thing he can do with the puck well. Um, but sort of passing around deep in the offensive zone is not so hot. And he, you know, it's just, he, he may as well be ca- carrying a two by four out there a lot of the time. But he plays a heavy game, as Jared Bednar likes to say, and he's good in puck battles, and he's good at, at neutral zone defense. And I think that complements sort of what those two guys need. And just sort of what we saw in, in preseason, that line seems to work pretty well as constructed. And that's not to say someone couldn't take Wilson's place or Joseph's place and, and sort of they have the same thing going on. But I just, you know, I think they hit on something that, that's going to work okay in the, the start of the season. I'm good with that line too, because Wilson does create space for those two, and yeah. that and you like you said, those are the things he's good at. It's just he's not going to finish. Like like the whole idea that he's just going to be back to scoring like forty points. I yeah, no, they're I'm all going to be I mean... secondary assists <laughs> if he's scoring that many points. Like the the finishing, I've seen him enough times try to score in tight. The hands just aren't there anymore. But I think he could okay. tip a goal in. Better than he could yeah. shoot one, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, but I mean, the success I see for that line is not predicated on Wilson <clears throat> developing a lot of points, and you know what I'm basically. But yes, yeah, so he's is, facilitating is... the other two. Then he's right. useful, and that's a good exactly. Thing. And and we'll I, talk you know, more I... about specifically like what what each line's role will be a little bit later because I don't know if if Colin Wilson stays on that line forever once the injury bug kind of moves along on, yeah. its, on its path. Um, right, but it's. I, I will say one other key to their success. I would like to see the second power play unit do something. Like, yeah, they can't go two months without scoring a goal. Again, now I understand. That's unacceptable. There, there's a reason why there's a power play one, and you, the, all the big guys, and they're out there to score. But you you can't just have a, keep wasting all that power play time and and the people on it and get nothing. And that yeah. that also gets into secondary score. You need you need the whole power play healthy. 
Well, the thing is, it's like if your second power play is out there, it means your first one didn't score. So it's like, you know, they're sort of your, you know, ace relief pitchers coming out and, you know, trying to throw a shut a shut down for a couple innings or something like that. You you really, you know, you don't need it often, but it can really pick the team up when the second unit scores like that. So obviously nobody makes the playoffs in a vacuum. You have to do it up against you know, a, di- a whole division of teams and even a whole conference of teams if you get really unlucky. So looking at the Central, the way that everyone kind of seems to tier this division, it gets pretty consistently like you have the top flight teams are Winnipeg and Nashville. Everyone has them 1-2 in some order or another. Um, following that is a general logjam of, in no particular order, St. Louis, Dallas, Minnesota, Colorado. And then Chicago bringing up the rear because they look like they might be in trouble. Um, Is Crawford still maybe sort of not really practicing? I thought I saw today that he was maybe sort of kind of medically cleared. (laughs) Well, That's a little late. (laughs) Just every time I would look for it, it was just like, well, he's skating. Well, he's on the ice. And it's like, that's not playing. (laughs) Yeah, I you know until he's actually in a game playing, then you know I'm just sort of considering an unperson. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say is that our good friend Micah McCurdy at Ineffective Math had um, you know he has a he has a new metric, um, and it had a very interesting way of racking the central, and he had it Nashville, Colorado, whoa, and yeah. <clears throat> and I'm trying to remember. I think he had Minnesota third, and that was the, those were the three teams making the playoffs. So you know there, there are some flaws, obviously. Um, but he had Winnipeg out of the playoffs, and he had St. Louis and Chicago right next to each other, right at the bottom of the entire Western Conference. Um, which I love the thought of St. Louis being down there. So I mean, I, I think it's interesting that. You know, someone who we regard as as smart and, you know, intuitive in these things sort of has a a different look at how the the Central will play out and not just sort of giving everything to the Blues as being great moves all summer and everything like that. Um, Well, it's refreshing to hear a different take because I agree, like, how you outline stuff that's kind of the logical thought that everyone's thinking um, yeah. I I almost kind of feel like Nashville might not be as good. Now I know they have they're they're more of a complete team. The defense is fantastic, and this and that. I just they they oh they seem a little bit paper tigers. It's not that they're not legitimately good. I just don't think that they're quite legitimately like top five in the league good, which seems like they get credit for. Like their their second round exit kind of got shoved under the rug a little bit, and I th- I mean I think they're legitimate questions about whether they can score consistently. Um, you know, it's like you look at them and you know they've got great defense, and when Rene plays well, he's he's good enough, and Soros is a great backup. But, you know, it's like you look at those forwards and you're like, you know, if you need to shut a team down, that's, you know, those are some good forwards to have. But it's like if you need to score two or three goals to win a game, you know, that's that's probably not the group you want. 
So yeah, so I, I I'm not giving them the one two spot, but do I think that they're going to be low enough where the Avs pass them? I I'm not quite ready to go there. It just seems yeah. like Chicago's always ready to die, and they don't quite. And Minnesota always does enough to be mediocre. And Dallas, they're very much like the Avs, where the offense should always be better than what it is. Like they have a great top line, and if they get decent goaltending, and you know, blah blah blah, pretty much all the same questions the Avs have. But for some reason, Dallas is always seen as like on the verge of being a contender when they're very much in the same boat as us. Well, it's just a Dallas, you know, as the Avs have been developing their def- their defense and their you know sort of throughout the organization their defensive core, Dallas really hasn't. You know, it's like Heiskanen uh-huh. looks like he's going to be a good addition, but. You know, he looks like he's probably more of a shutdown guy than a point producer. Yeah, the, and people pick and him. And they do have the offensive guy. Yeah, I'm like, where is he going to get that offense? I don't care that he scored 29 points in the league last year. Okay, like he's not going to have top flight offense. Yeah, and I agree. I, mean, I like... think he's going to be a solid pro, but the people picking him to win the Calder, I don't know where those points are coming from. Yeah. I mean, it's like, for, I, you know, I've seen, an, uh, you know, only a little bit of him and only a little bit of Darlene, but it's just, you know, Darlene's going to score much more than, than he is. And, and so, um, it's you know, tough I, for I, any defense to win really the Calder anyway. Run. It really is. Yeah. It's just, it, it, the Central is not the best division It's it, in, the, in the National Hockey League. It's just that if you're not a first vote cup contender, it's a real group of death. Because I, I think what it is is there's so many, yeah, it's a tough division, and there are so many teams that are each other's kryptonite, yeah, that it just the, the, it's I don't know, it, it, it's sort of like a you know, everybody just kills each other, and if you manage to make it out of that, then yeah, you're pretty good. Congratulations, yeah, because every, every team could win on it on every night, every central team could beat any other team in the league too. And, but then they'll lose a lot of stupid ones as well. Yeah. yeah. There's just, there's so many teams that have two or three cup winning elements down and then one really, really, really not down. Yeah. Cause I mean with, with Colorado, you know, like their top level talent is really good. Their goaltending tandem should be really good. And everything below that is, ah, Dallas yeah. is sort of in the same boat with a bigger add on the defense than just in depth in general. St. Louis has what for goaltending? Yeah. Minnesota and has what for top level talent? I mean, there's just. Well, it's also what each team struggles with is, is sort of a big factor. You know, it's like Minnesota just couldn't handle the ab speed last year. And, you know, even, even though, you know, skill wise, the abs were probably not that much um, above the wild. Um, the speed was the huge difference in the game. It's just, you know, Minnesota can't deal with, with speed like that. Right. And it, it against most teams, that's not going to make a big difference. Um, but just sort of when, when the Avs and the Wild got together, that was just something they couldn't handle. And it just, right. that doesn't work every night against every team in the Central, but it just, you know, that's sort of like the kryptonite factor we have with all these teams. And then every Dallas game is going to be a 6-5 shootout. I mean, that's just kind of It just it always is. And just always is, yeah. If, <laughs> if St. Louis has a hard time keeping the puck out of the back of their net when it's actually shot, then, I mean, you're you're facing an offense that exploded from year to year last year and isn't looking to get any worse this year. 
So, I mean, yeah. it's... Looking at the Avalanche, yeah, they're definitely a flawed team. There's definitely um, reason to doubt their postseason chances, but when you look at the rest of the division, I think their chances are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, you know, I, I know how you said there's sort of like a, a tier of, you know, Win Winnipeg and Nashville, then a bunch of guys, and then Chicago. <clears throat> but I think everyone's just so close. I mean, I think and... they'll be better than some, but you're basically saying they need to be better than most. And I think that's, that's where the trouble comes in. Yeah. Uh, they need to be better well, than two. And I think and the Avs that, need, that need to be better outside of the division. Eighth spot as well. Yeah, that, is, like, that, is, that assumes that the Central gets the eighth spot, like I think you were trying to say, but it didn't come through. Okay, yeah. Um, it, it's just, I, I if you really don't think that the Avs have a good shot at that third spot in their division... <laughs> I just I I think it's way too much kind of hopes and prayers. Like when they when they're moving on to the becoming legit where they're consistent, they're consistent playoff contenders, you have to be talking about a division slot. And then people say, Oh no, the Winnipeg and Nashville have those two locked down and then, then there's only one spot for everyone else. Well, if they're not in that conversation, you can't pick them to make the playoffs. Like, just getting in as an eighth seed isn't good enough. Like, it's great if it happens, and it was fun last year, but it, that's just completely not good enough. It's not sustainably good enough. So if you're on that eighth seed bubble, then you may be the ninth seed next year. Like, Duncan Fitz right. may not score in the last five minutes of the game. <laughs> <laughs> you might not win ten in a row again. But, but we'll get to the why not a little bit later. Um... Is there anything that you guys feel like we didn't get to on, um, you know, kind of the Avalanche playoff path as it is? Yeah, one thing, and this is a, a franchise throughout history thing, is the Avs have never improved their record two years in a row. So that's something that they'll have to overcome. And I know that's just sort of like a weird quirk of math or whatever, but um, showing improvement in your record two years in a row is something that they've never done, and it, it's actually it's harder than you think. So you have to be and that's first, and that's why I'm. Well, it's like getting better than ninety five points is is difficult. But so, you, but they can still be on the path of actually getting somewhere, and it's it's not always improvement every single year. There's always going to be setbacks. It's yeah. just. Hopefully, at the end of the day, they're progressing over a length of time. And we don't know that yet. We still don't know if they're continuing the same good one year, mediocre two years, bottom out, then good. Like, I don't think they're still doing that. But until they've proven that they're not, that can't be completely ruled out either. Well, yeah. And like you were saying, it's like, you know, you want to be in those top three spots. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I think they need to improve to be, you know, the hundred point Minnesota team rather than just the ninety five point Avalanche team. If they if they want to be, you know, sort of a playoff feeling team. And and I think that's a big step. I, I think it the is. organization and the team and everyone that that's going to take a big step from everybody. And they can get there, but that's it's a lot harder than people think. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think it's a you know, not that I I think they definitely can be that hundred point team this year. I just think it's a lot more likely that it'll be next year. 
You know, it's, 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 it's a little more likely that they'll regress a, a tiny bit, like still be in the 90s, but not quite make it um, and be that 100, 105 point team next year. Um, but we'll see. You know, I, I still think they can pull it off rather easily with, with just a few bits of luck. Well, that's a lot of time spent talking about the past or about the future. <laughs> Let's talk about the past instead. It's kind of both. It's kind of the both. It's a lot of time spent talking about the future that hasn't even happened yet. So that's a, always a fun exercise. And what's going to happen? I don't know. Things, some things might happen. But some things have happened. They're called preseason games. If you care about the outcomes of such things, which you probably shouldn't. That's not what the preseason is for. Um, Colorado will lose 5-1 to the Vegas Golden Knights. And then by a score we won't mention to a team we won't mention. Um, then they win 5-3 over the Vegas Golden Knights, lose 3-1 to the Dallas Stars, take an overtime victory 4-3 over Minnesota, and then win a truly bizarre preseason game 6-5 against Dallas on Sunday to wrap things up. Um, what did you see this preseason that you liked? And we'll start there. Um, I liked you know, seeing I, goals I, 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 I in the last is. two you saw lots With, of goals <laughs> in the last two games. In the last two games, when they played most of their roster, I liked that they could score because that—that's always kind of like you want to start the season with players not gripping the stick, not worried about scoring. You know, it, it's nice to see guys like Kerfoot and Ranton and these guys score so that they're ready to hit the ground running. So that part I liked. Kerfoot, we've already kind of alluded to, but man, he's been outstanding this preseason. And you're always yeah. a little bit wary of the guy who has a really solid preseason, because it's preseason. You know, you're like, well, maybe he's given a little bit more than the other players are. And the players that are given that much are not at his skill level, obviously. So maybe he's just kind of running running around on some veterans who are like, yeah, whatever. Um, so you always want to kind of temper that. But he's been really strong just with making plays happen, with being more willing to shoot the puck, um, which is encouraging because he said he wanted to do that. Yeah, and for me, I, what I was more impressed with with Kerfoot was sort of his play in the defensive zone and on the breakouts and, and even a little bit of puck retrieval and things like that, like playing a, a full 200-foot role. Um, you know, I know I know Bednar really wanted him to shoot more, but I think also the staff in general wanted to see a little bit better... Um, full ice play from him this year if they were going to make him you know the the second or third line center however you want to look at it and i you know i i really think he showed that that he can handle that a little bit better this year um you know if if, if what we saw in preseason is any indication then he's he's on the way to, to crafting a little bit better year as far as being a center um you know, and, and not not playing like ten minutes a night. You know, like moving that up to like twelve, fourteen minutes a night as a center. And I think Miko needs some credit too because he he kind of yeah. gets that overtime goal. Yeah, <laughs> he's getting the backhanded credit so far this this preseason. Have you he's... noticed? It's because... like, well, he scored that goal, so we won't talk about the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just think, you know, he's expected to, to be good at this point. So, and the, and the top line, they, they were good collectively in the preseason. Like, maybe it waned a bit in some games. But I think 
between the three, Miko really stood out the most. And I think I think he's worked on some things. I think he looks a little bit better on his skates. He's using his size a little bit more. But I think he's also upped kind of what he can do with his his skill. And and the combination of all that is very scary. And there's some things that I've seen him do in just camp and practices, just the way he's shooting. Like he keeps trying this like insane angle backhand top shelf shot that I, I can't even describe. But if he does that in a game, which I'm pretty sure that that's gonna be like a highlight real goal and and he's gotten that one to work a few times that I've seen. So I, I just think he's ready for a big year. And the only thing that would slow him down is injury. Knock on wood. Hope that doesn't happen. But there's just no way that he's not going to have a good year. He looks ready to go. Yeah, I mean, he was—he actually had some pretty sneaky bad shot rates. Um, if he starts shooting sort of up... I mean, like, when you have a guy that shoots as much as Mac does, yeah, that's got to come from somewhere. Um but if he starts generating shots, it's sort of, you know, he was down sort of not that much higher than, like, Kerfoot. And, and he was actually kind of behind guys like Jost and Comfer. So if he gets his shot rates up and Matt keeps his at least pretty close to where they were, that's just going to be ridiculous. And, and like you said, I saw him doing some really good puck protection in the corner type stuff. And, I mean, he just he looked 10 foot long. When he was doing stuff, he just looked like he was playing keep away with these defensemen. Well, he's got to be 10 feet and, tall by now. Well, he is, <laughs> at least. Um, but it just, you know, it's sort of the what he was billed as when we drafted him is sort of this, um, you know, big guy that's not incredibly physical, but he's just incredibly good at protecting the puck and possessing the puck and, and basically playing keep away with it. And, and we're seeing that a little bit more in preseason. And he just, you know, he looks a little bit more confident than they did at the end of last year. And I know we think that maybe he had some sort of minor injury to his hands that wasn't allowing him to, you know, do as much with the puck as we would have liked. But, you know, he looked incredibly skilled out there this year. And it's preseason, it's lower speed, it's low, it's less impact, but he's been a lot stronger on his skates, I think. Because, you know, yeah. the, the, the meme turned into, oh, here comes Miko to fall down in the corner, but he's been a lot stronger on his feet this preseason than he has been at any point in the last two years, at least. Yeah, I just yeah, I think the... he's shown a little bit of improvement in all those areas and that that's just gonna set him up so well. And that was something he wanted to work on over the summer and it's you know, it's like if that's ultimately something that he improved a bunch, I mean that that's great because that's obviously that's probably his biggest flaw. Yeah. And I will say one more positive of the preseason <laughs> which is I know it's hard to find real great ones, but I liked how the first half was more for development for the younger guys playing. I know that annoyed a lot of people that that it, it was often a younger lineup against a better lineup. That was also more Minnesota's fault for dressing their entire team against our kids. But, Dicks. you know, things like that happen. But I, I liked Bednar's approach. I liked that he wanted to give Kaut and Kamenev and guys like Shavirev and Lewis several games. I, I think that will help going forward. And I think that was a good, it's important part of development. It's important part for them to see these guys in game action and against and with NHL players. And I think that's going to help Bednar 
kind of keep an eye on the development system and everything. So I liked that, but um, I know it's kind of a necessary evil at some point as well. So uh, can I we like just it highlight cause... that you liked a thing the organization did developmentally. Yes, <laughs> that's true. I'm giving them credit for something they did. Hopefully that leads to something. But yes, exactly. I, I'm saying that was a positive, and I appreciated that. Well, I also think, I, I, you know, I don't think the vets really wanted to be out there that much. You know, no. I think, you know, they well, I think yeah. they wanted, <laughs> I, I think the three games that they were forced to play was maybe one to one more than they wanted to. But then um, it's their fault they got bored by not playing for 10 days. So. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I think they'd rather, you know, just be, I mean, I know they get bored with practice, but I think they'd rather be practicing and not hurting themselves rather than oh, playing sure. a game at, 60% and not hurting themselves, hopefully. Yeah, you know I what's real say... boring is sitting in a dark room all day because you got kabonged by Tom Wilson. What an asshole. Oh, oh yeah. of course. Nobody wants to get injured trying to be a hero in preseason. Like, three games is plenty. It's just, I yeah. think it maybe would have served them better to maybe try to play more in that middle rather than, like, at the very beginning and the very end. But no, vets definitely don't need to play more than three. So maybe make, just mix it up a little bit more? Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. But I will say, and I know this is going to be a bit of a hot take, and I don't... It's about Nathan McKinnon and I, how he kind of approached this preseason. And I know that it's tough to criticize him because I don't... I honestly don't think it's going to affect his play. I, I think he played hard between the whistles when he was playing, but when he wasn't when other people were playing i i just really got the vibe that he was just so over it and it's understandable but it's like you're also setting an example for everybody like things he would do in practice like when other teammates were doing drills he wouldn't watch he would even like shoot pucks to miko and stuff it's like if a prospect did that they would be out of here like he wouldn't stay for the skill work at the end of practices I just, like, like I said, I understand that he's just wanted to get on with the season, but I just, if I'm being honest, I wasn't a fan of his attitude, and that's why I also don't necessarily give him the benefit of the doubt for skipping on the fan fest in the last preseason game. Certainly nobody wants him to get hurt and push something. But like I said, after watching him for two, three weeks, and then having him just bail on the end, I don't necessarily believe that he was really all that injured. So that's where I'm at. So, hey, I went to camp for three weeks. I had an observation, so I'm sharing that. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear anything negative about McKinnon. So there you go. Call the fire department. <laughs> I, I can definitely see him, that though. with Mac because it just, you know, there have been several articles written about him over the summer and just how focused he is. And, um, you know, that they're, you know, I think coming in second place in the heart, I, I think 97 instead of a hundred points. Um, I, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, I, I think there are a lot of wrongs he wants to write as soon as the, the season begins in anger. Um, so I, I can see him becoming impatient with waiting for that. Um, so hopefully, you know, his energy was focused towards Thursday night rather than just sort of 
nonchalantly going through camp. Yeah, hopefully it's less, you know, blasé and more just kind of emotional burnout. Hey, I need to take a breath before the season starts because he's been pushing pretty hard this this off this off season as as you just said. My uh, my remaining positive was his play on the ice because like obviously he didn't get really rewarded for it much and he didn't do it a lot. But when he was engaged, boy, he, you could tell it's still there. That people are saying, oh, you know. Last season was a career year. It may not be something he can repeat. Oh, buddy. <laughs> you wait a minute. How about that one? But obviously your off-ice prep matters quite a bit. If you uh, listen to the 31 Thoughts pod, you, you heard Jeff Merrick say uh, this week that uh, elite talent isn't like, maybe, maybe it was last week. Some, sometime. That a lot of the elite talent isn't the mundane things that you don't see, like the thousand reps every day to where the the things that other players can do, but it looks tough. The things that make make it look so easy, it's because it is easy for them because they've done it, and they've done it, and they've done it. So off ice prep definitely matters. It's absolutely an observation worth noting. Oh yeah, I think I think McKinnon will play great. That's that's not a concern of mine. It's just you know just an observation. That's all. Do you want to add another plus, Earl? You don't have to, but do you want to? Um, I'll just reinforce that I really like that they gave a lot of time to the prospects and, and that that along with sort of what we're seeing with the relationship um, they have with the Eagles only being 50 miles away is off to a good start and we'll see how that plays out over the next couple of months. But um, it just seems like everything's a little bit more synchronized and that, that Jared Bednar is really taking a little bit of ownership with how players transition from the Eagles to the abs lineup. And, you know, I, I, I I'm very hopeful that that's going to be uh, something that's, that's different than it has been over the past, you know, I don't know, two decades, really. I will wait and see how they actually play, but yeah, but I agree. It was, it was a good first step. I will say one more positive. I think in general, the goaltending, I, I would call it a positive. I know you look at some of the statistics and think maybe it wasn't. I thought Varley looked good. I thought he had a good preseason. If I had to declare a winner, I would declare Varley won camp in preseason. I don't think Grubauer was bad. I'm getting to Francis. <laughs> I didn't think Grubauer was bad. I don't think he was bad. I don't think he showed as well as Varley, but I, I wouldn't give him a negative, just not quite as positive. And then I think Francis showed really well. So um, it sounded like he did well in that preseason game for the Eagles as well. So I think there's kind of a, a little bit to be excited about with Francis there so far. An yeah. actual internal goalie? No way. The last, last time the Avs had one of those, he ended up going to an expansion team and then to Toronto and then to Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Francis, out of probably all five goalies that the Avs had on the, the under NHL contract, probably had the most to play for this preseason. Um, just because that one game that he played was basically his only showing with NHL-ish talent. Um, until the unthinkable happens and he gets called up. So, you know, he really needed to show that he was able to handle um, playing in, the, in an NHL role. And, you know, nothing we've seen so far has discounted him from, from doing that. 
So we are we are talking about goaltending in a positive light, but uh, I I will reread the goals against tallies from the games here. We had five, seven, three, 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 five. Where if if that's not from goaltending, is where is that coming from? Are we concerned? Yeah, I don't know. There's some good. There's some non-goaltending reasons I might put that on. Name five <clears throat> of them. <laughs> in in fact, um, name eighty-three of them. <laughs> that might be an easier task. Um, you know, there is the. I, I think you know some of that is vets being a little bit casual, and people in general not wanting to hit each other and, and play at full speed. So there's not a lot to read into it. Um, you know, I, I don't think Grubauer gave up on the team like people were saying he did on the, in the, the 7 nothing loss to the team we won't name. Um, but, you know, there was just, there was a level of play that was uneven throughout the lineup. And it's, you know, it's difficult as a goalie to deal with that. So I think he tilted, I'm not going to read a lot into it. Gave up on the team is tilted. It happens. Yeah. You're not going to leave him in for all those goals in an actual regular season game, so what's the problem? Yeah. Um, you know, I, th there are some things I do worry about with giving up that many goals, but the, the goaltending is really not my main concern there. Well, the, the goals total is a main concern that I've had. The Avalanche are getting scored on a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. They did have some rough defensive lineups, especially in some of those games. Yeah. So. I mean, that it's didn't like, you help. know. I mean, uh, I forget it. The, the, the wild game was the one where Sam was the most experienced defenseman. So, you know, that's a lot to overcome. You know, especially when the, the opponent is icing basically their opening night lineup minus two or three guys. So. Was, I, th was I think he the... was the only NHL defenseman. Was that the game yeah, with I the mean... Anderson Graves pairing? And every time I saw them on the ice, I played Yakety Sax on YouTube? <laughs> that was the, I think that was the first game. Whichever game that was, that made that a lot easier to watch. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's fine and because, I mean, Graves sort of overcome that, you know, he had to overcome that and he did and he played pretty well in the next game. And, you know, Josh was Josh. It's good for him to get experiences, you know, I don't, I think he, he, he had just turned 20 before camp. So he's one of the youngest guys as far as defensemen that, that was involved in the game. So it's like, he needs to see that, you know, he, he's not close. <laughs> I'd also say a ton of penalties and a ton of power plays also did not help the goaltending. Yeah, the yeah. penalty kill was a little bit stinky. <coughs> they also had a lot of interesting folks on it. Like, the game that I saw live when Cody Bass was on the penalty kill, I'm you know, glad that that game got him signed to an AHL contract because... He actually he was... led the team in PK minutes that game. There, there was one, I think it was the game that I went to that wasn't televised, I think it was last Wednesday. Yeah. There was one, Alt fell down in front of the net, and Mark Bass left Alt. his man. And I was like, <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> that, was, that was a great PK, guys. 
Yeah. So it's like that, you know, no there was shooting from the slots. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's where your yeah. inner slot shots are coming from. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great point. <laughs> Here is why the inner slot is so important. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously there's some personnel issues going. I mean, it's, it's preseason. It's going to happen. But the other teams have the same personnel issues, do they not? No, because the I mean the Vegas and the Wild were playing their big guys basically every game. Well, and... sure. the The first preseason game where none with like McKinnon and Rantanen and Landeskog couldn't beat Zach Fucali. Yeah, that that's on the Avs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I mean, I think like uh, I think the Dallas games were a little more evenly matched as far as. Um, talent level. I think I think Dallas brought a better team than the Avs iced in the game that you saw that wasn't on TV, Jackie. Yeah, ours was. And they, they didn't bring the saw. team. Yeah. <laughs> you and maybe eight thousand of your closest friends saw. <laughs> that might be generous. That's very yeah. generous from what I've seen of playoff attendance yeah. around the league. Did I say playoff I, preseason? Damn. Yeah. Yeah, Dallas didn't bring the A team that that game, but I, I think it was a more experienced lineup. Yeah, and they think that Bishop I, that game too, I believe. Yeah, they did. I think they did. So that, so like when I said I liked the goaltending play, I liked individually kind of what they did. I thought Varley was pretty sharp. I think he only really gave up maybe an iffy goal in that first game. I can't really think of. And his other two starts that he really gave up anything that you would consider soft. So that's kind of why I'm happy, happy with how he's done. So um, let's just kind of look down the, the team in general then. Just kind of with the roster as it's generally understood right now. And, and this is kind of based on what they've done in the preseason uh, along with the way they've been practicing um, so obviously your, your top line is Nathan McKinnon between Gabe Landeskog and Miko Rantanen combined over under 200 points. Way over. Way what were they last year? <laughs> I think Miko and, and Mac will get over 200 points. Okay. I just, that would be a thing. I'm going to say, I'm going to say under, well, okay. The whole line under 200, that would be... Because if uh, 200 is 80-80-40. With Landis Cog, um, obviously the 40, not because he's a bad player, but because he just doesn't produce the same amount of points. Just the I way think, it works. Well, I think if they're at 80, he's at least at 60. I think every year, he, I think I believe he scored 25 goals, and I think it might be over 60 points the Avs have made the playoffs. So if Landis Cog's in the 60s and the other two are in 80, that's easy. Um, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think. Okay, I'll say I'm going to say they're not going to do as well as they did last year, but yeah, they should be able to get over 200 if they're healthy. Okay, so maybe the line should be at 215 then. I think Max shooting for 120 and Miko shooting for 100. What if Miko outscores Mac this year? 
What? That's what we'll all say. Uh, I know people you know, will say How many more impossible. games do you think he's going to play? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's say they're in the ballpark. Obviously, if Mac plays like 40 games, it's not really much of a take. But say they're in the ballpark. Let's just say Mac misses maybe some, but not like where it's obvious he's not going to. Sure, they, I think they both play seventy-five games. Yeah, I think that's going to be my hot take. Miko's going to outscore Mac, and then they're going to have to pay him eight million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think Miko's going to have a fantastic year, but I, I see Mac really getting close to a point and a half a game. Miko is definitely—he had his breakout last season, but he's definitely poised to continue to grow from it because it didn't start immediately. And he still he had terrible has shot rates. Level. He definitely exactly. has another level looking at too. And I know people would say there's no way because he's going to need Mac to score those points. But I don't think so. I, I definitely think they help each other and oh, yeah. playing with Mac helps. But I don't think it's he's like a 50-point player away from Mac. I think he can. And if they ever do split the lines or they let Miko carry a line, if they ever care about actually having a second line, that's that's something else to think about. The sneakiest well, thing you it. can do on the ice is play with Nathan McKinnon, because when, when when Nathan McKinnon is on the ice, everybody's shutting down Nathan McKinnon. No one's paying attention yeah. to you. You can do what you like. Well, it's like the the Royal Road Pass that that got Miko the overtime goal. It's like if they can if they can do that when they're really trying to shut down Mac, you know that then Jackie scenario where Miko outscores Mac is is maybe possible. You know, it's like if, if they try to shut down Mac all the time, although Mac would always get an assist then, so who knows. But, you know, I, I think... <laughs> hey, you know, I know I, it's a hot take, but I, I think it's something that nobody is even considering. No, I mean, I think I can see Miko scoring a point and a quarter per game and, and still not getting close to Mac. So, um, I you know, I, I honestly... I think I mean I think Mac can get 120 or over, and I think Miko can get to 100. That that would be a lot of goals. I don't I don't yeah. think quite ready for that. It absolutely requires are. that the refs call the same level of penalties that they did early last season all this season. No, I'm not. I mean, I think they can. I think they have a lot. They have a lot of headroom at five v five. I don't think they need a ton of. Power play time to do that. I mean, it's yeah, it's not about you power need... play time. It's about having the freedom to not get hacked as you skate through, guys. Yeah. Then Sam's got to have like fifty points if they're scoring that much because yeah. they're going to need the all those, all those fabulous passes if they're going <laughs> to score like that. Yeah, let's go from the top line to the top pairing. EJ with Sam Gerard. I think that? it's a great idea. I know I pounded the table over the summer. They need to give Sam a, a, a real role. They found it looks one. like they're going to. <laughs> it's a and big he, one. He's, looked, he's looked great in preseason. I know even Peter McNabb's on TV going, oh boy, they never played together much. That's completely false. They played over 240 <laughs> even strength minutes together last year. Sam was EJ's second most frequent partner, even more than Barry Ooh, last did your year. research? Oh yeah, I know my Sam. <laughs> 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 so the whole like, oh my god. Sam's never done this. What's going to happen? It's just a little too pearl clutchy for me. And I think I, I, I liked how Bedner said he earned it with his play at the end of last season. I think that was a good reason why to give it to him. And he's looked really good in preseason. 
Um, I, I think he's going to do really well now. Of course, any top pair is going to have their ups and downs, but I think I, I think it really will set the defensive core. Yeah, because last year at the end of the year after EJ got hurt the second time, um, yeah, they basically buried Sam and Nemeth all the time and gave Barry and Z all, all the easier matchups that when they could. And, and that's what they were doing in the preseason too. That right, and they and and Sam and and Nemeth held their own um, decently. So it's like you know if if you take Sam out of that situation and put him with EJ in that same role, yeah, I, I think you could feel very comfortable with that as a coach and 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 look at that as as a big positive. I'm on board with the idea too, for all the reasons that you all just said. Let's look at the middle. Of the forward core, because I, it, we talk about there being a second line and a third line, and but we've, we've also been kind of talking about, well, which line is really the second line, and that's pointless. So we're going to look at it as a middle six. Um, Kerfoot with Jost and Wilson. <clears throat> I've been a big fan of their play. Um, I, I just think those three guys together complement each other well. Um, Kerfoot has looked good in the, you know, all three zones, really. Um, I think probably by the end of this year, he's going to be really comfortable playing center in a full sort of second line sort of NHL center role, you know, as far as being able to corral and, and distribute the puck in the defensive zone, run the play in the offensive zone. Um, you know, I, I just, I really think he's getting the game. I think it's starting to slow down for him and that's just really great to see. Um, I think Wilson has a lot of flaws, but he's able to do things that the other two guys can't really do, like make space, uh, be a pain in the ass in the neutral zone, um, just sort of do some heavy lifting that those guys, and you know, I don't think it's totally a size thing. It's just sort of the way Wilson plays. Um, he's, he's enough of a complementary style um, that it makes that line sort of harder to play against. And... I haven't been that impressed with Jost in the in the preseason, really. Um, but you know, he's young, and and hopefully he starts taking the next step to using his talents better than he did last year, and you know, become a, a, a legitimate scoring threat. I think we talked about Kerf and Wilson a lot, and bring up an interesting point about Jost. I think I think he's been up and down the preseason. I think his highs have been pretty good. He he had some really good camp days where I think he was more confident. I, I think he is moving better. Um, I I liked his last two games, the ones that were more the veteran lineup. I don't think he stood out, but I don't think he was bad. I really didn't like his game that I saw live against Dallas. Um, someone commented to me that he looked like Duchesne on a bad day where you can see the talent but he's just trying way too hard to do everything and and I and I agree I think that that's what that Dallas game looked like I think he was trying to be kind of that that top center in that game and I think that's when he gets into trouble but I think um I, I think he is primed for a good year though I think he is improved on some things that he needs to improve on and and I I think he's a decent match for Kerf. Like I like the idea of where they're going with that line, um, and not splitting up those two and seeing if they can make it work. So I'll, I'll still give it a thumbs up for now. 
we talked a lot about that line. Let's talk about the other line in the middle six, which is Carl Soderbergh centering Matt Nieto and Gabriel Bork. And I just... <laughs> like, we, we... I know we said all summer that they're just going to put Calver in Como's spot and call it good and how we didn't want that. I, I wanted want Soderbergh to actually... I know yeah. exactly. Now that sounds good. We wanted Soderbergh to actually be a scoring center. It looks like Bednar just does not see him that way. And he really likes Nieto with him. And I can live with that, but they have to think of something better for who else goes on that line. I don't know. After, after the Dallas game, I can't live with Nieto on that line, really. <laughs> Nieto was putrid in that game, but you so cannot I don't give this much awful. of a role to Gabe Bork. Gabe Bork is fine in a very limited NHL role, but he can't play 10 minutes a night. Exactly, which is why even the thought that that could really be the second line is traumatizing because you cannot play Gabe Bork that much no. at all in well, any capacity. Like, Carl's not much of a shooter. Like, he's got a good shot and he can score. But the thing is, the other two guys can't pass to anyone ever. And that's really tough. Like, like Bork has a decent shot. If you give him the puck in a, in a dangerous area, like, he's actually pretty good at doing something with it. Um, but as far as like, you know, making a breakout pass or, you know, getting through the neutral zone with a pass, I mean, he can't do that. And Nieto really can't either. So that, that just sort of makes it sort of, you know, they, they break the puck out sort of a little bit and it goes right back in the zone. And it just, it looks like they're going to be trapped there the whole time. And, and, and on the other hand, like Carl can, I know Carl could have put up 50 points last year if he'd had better offensive line mates um and but i you know i i do see the the value in in playing a heavy cycle game with como like he did that that didn't really generate as many points as as you'd like but you know that did suppress shots for the opponent um but it's like what what they're doing now they're they're not going to be a good static defensive um setup you know it's like you can't do a five-man penalty kill with those guys. It's just, it's going to be awful. You know, you need to get the puck out of your zone and into the other end for those guys to have any shot. And it just, it, the, the passing skills aren't there with, with the, with the wings and, and that's just going to be tough. So what, what my hope is, is that they try this for four or five games and it just, it, it, it doesn't work. And they're like, you know, we, we've got to try some things finally. Let's go ahead and talk right now about the team's, preseason injuries apart from Nathan McKinnon's icy wrists on the, the last for the last game uh Sven Andergetto is on injured reserve he's been spotted in a boot he's what two to four weeks I think they said um yeah so I guess we he... don't even believe the two part <laughs> no not at this point not with not with that guy um so we're when he returns where do we slot him back in it's gotta, um, it's gotta be one of these two lines right it depends what they've abandoned, and it depends. Like, I didn't mind the Wilson, Kamenev, Andrew Ghetto line in camp, but they never really got to use it in a game. So maybe, I don't know. Maybe Bednar was already over it, but Kamenev it's tough also because on his list. yeah, he's <laughs> another one. It's tough because if the way the lines are right now, then you're going to have Andrew Ghetto on the fourth, which is like waste. I, I mean, I'd put Andrew Ghetto in Bork's spot, no problem. Yeah, you know, and I know, do that. <laughs> I know, and it's just I, you know, I I know that's probably 
you know that that would make his skin crawl. But I just I think that that Sven's shooting ability with Carl would be really good, and Sven's a, Sven's really good at entering the zone, and, and you know carrying play through the neutral zone. Um, I have to get you to know, the neutral zone in the first place. If things right. are going well, I might not even see a place for him initially. Well, I mean, that's that's a lot of ice time for Gabriel Bork. But, yeah. yeah, they want to give it to him. And I don't hate, I just want to reiterate, I don't hate Bork. I, I like him kind of in the, on the sneak attack when he's on that fourth line and, like, his speed surprises and his forechecking. But yeah. that's just not going to happen on the Carl line. No. Yeah. And then, of course, we have also have uh, Vladislav Kamenev, who's on this injured reserve list as well, who can play a role maybe on this sort of second of the bottom six lines. Um, where where his talents are also kind of missing, and obviously we still don't really know what those are at the NHL level yet, so it's kind of just a question mark. But I think he showed some of them in the preseason. I think he's somebody that 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 they're going to need to work with, and I think they want to. It's just kind of to what extent because he can offer you like skill and in size he's not kind of like those energy try hard guys that you kind of have a lot of he's different i think he could be a legitimate maybe like third line center if they actually ever went back to a scoring third line so we'll see well i th- i think they're going to use him in kind of different roles assuming they keep him on the roster yeah assuming it's soon he sort of slots into that you know the the vacant slot right now is the right wing on the fourth line with Comfer and Calvert. And they this didn't really is again, play him on the is, wing. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. Um, but you know, maybe you know, lefty righty thing with Comfer. They like having that sort of center. Yeah. Um, duality. Um, so maybe that works. I don't know. You know, I, I think Comfer could be. You know, I think he and Comfort could switch off at center and wing, and, and it, it's not going to make a big difference. Yeah. We'll, we'll I agree. Comfort. Hopefully that's the idea. Uh, but also yeah. on the injured list are Anton Lindholm and Connor Timmons, who is still not back to 100 from his concussion yet. It seems like he hasn't had a setback with the skating, so that's good. And, and he did skate at FanFest at the Pepsi Center. So they all they all practiced in their actual abs jerseys, and then they had him and Lindholm, who were kind of like the injured ones, but they were wearing their abs jerseys too, so that was kind of a cute touch. The unclean. He's still yeah. there. <laughs> but he, we saw him live in the 18. It happened. So so I think it was good. Maybe, I, I don't know if like light sensitivity is his issue or not, but it was good that he skated in a different environment at least. So... And then he kept skating. I think he was at the facility today, so that's at least a good sign. But um, you just w- wonder what what the hurdles are that he needs to clear to kind of actually progress. And we just have no idea what those are at this point. We don't even really know what what it is that's bothering him. So yeah, it's a concussion. So, it could be a whole lot of different things. Yeah. The so other, well, um, the tough thing is he didn't. He wasn't able to train over the summer, so he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a couple months out when he gets cleared for. And then, yeah, that's the other practice. thing, is that it seems like they're alluding to that they want him to kind of have this training program, and it's going to be a while 
I guess we'll see if he stays with the Avs or rehabs with the Eagles or wherever they send him, but he's still around for now. Still around for now. Not around anymore are Logan O'Connor and David Warsawski, who were reassigned to Colorado Eagles today, and then Mark Olt, who went through waivers yesterday, question mark? Um, was, re- was, was he or wasn't he, and then he eventually was re- announced, yes, he was reassigned. Yeah, they waived both Warsawski and Alt, and then they assigned Warsawski this morning, and then Alt this afternoon. I guess they're waiting to see if Zdorov was a bit nicked up, was okay in practice, and it seemed like he was, and then... Yeah, that was weird. I guess um, he was fine. Yeah, yeah, I didn't hear anything that was wrong in practice. And then Lindholm's another one, which you haven't gotten to, but um, I think him getting through practice in the red jersey was also another reason why... They sent all down as well. Yeah. The Warsawski thing's really weird, and I know nobody really is that concerned with Warsawski, but it's just he wasn't on the ice whatsoever for camp, preseason, nothing. The only thing Bednar ever said was that he needed to get a second opinion on something, which that sounds kind of ungood. But then he came back, and then they waived him and sent him to the Eagles, so that's probably good news, but... As far as the capacity in which he could play, at least is relevant for the Eagles because they do need veteran puck movers. So it's just kind of odd. But as far as the Avs are concerned, it seems like he's a bit lower on the depth chart after Graves had a good preseason and they seem to really like Mark Alt. So you probably won't see Warsawski on the Avalanche. Hopefully not. Hopefully there's not that many injuries. Well, there were enough injuries last season. He played in the middle of the defense at some points, which is not optimal. But right now, at the middle of the since we got through the middle of the forward, let's get to the middle of the defense, which is a door off with Tyson Berry. We see. Them, I think we that, know what they are. We know what they do. Basically, I they're not my favorite. I'm not like as yay about that pair as maybe some others are, but. If you're if you're putting Sam with EJ, then it it, it is a logical pair. It's and a, it's a default. Yeah, and we we don't need to see more of the other guys. I think Cole had a, had kind of a rough ish preseason. He's kind of the one of those guys that seems to be another kind of he is what he is. You you take the good and the bad and you live with it. So uh, I know that he's probably going to be the default. If anyone struggles in the top four, but I I don't know if I'd hand that right to him either based on his preseason. But do you like Zadorov with Barry? I do. I think out of everyone on the roster, he's probably the the most qualified to play. Uh, you know, sort of the I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it's a second banana roll, but it kind of is. Which one um, is he in this sentence? <laughs> Well, the pronoun game is here. Top, yeah. Um, well, just you know, it, <laughs> your job as as Tyson Berry's partner is to support him, <laughs> make up for his deficiencies in the defensive zone and his questionable decisions, so that he can be a hero in the offensive zone. <laughs> just being Barry's yeah. partner is is not an easy task. I agree. It's I a just, thankless job, really. It, this um, is probably going to come off. They did off. well at the end of last year. They honestly did. I mean, I, they were very sheltered in both sort of the, the you know, the, the post-second EJ injury era and in the playoffs. 
you know, I didn't like Barry in the playoffs at all, but you know, they, they did what they, you know, they did what they did. Okay. And I just, I don't see anyone being much better. I don't, I mean, like if, if, if it really came down to it, I, I might try Barbario there. Cause I, I think Barbario and Barry actually work pretty well together too. It's just, well, that's just, that's just too much chaos. That's a lot of here's chaos. <laughs> and, it, and this is going to sound worse than I intended to. But Barry needs to be paired with somebody smarter than him. That's not hard. There's not a lot of geniuses on this decor. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the decor. I really do, but it's about as good as it's been in a while. But this is yeah, but this is not the Menza group. So here at the bottom of the defense, we're looking at Patrick Nemeth with Ian Cole, along with some spot duty for Mark Barbario. <clears throat> I would vote for Barbario over Nemeth. Um, Nemeth has looked like somebody who had shoulder surgery and didn't really train as much as they would have liked over the preseason. <clears throat> um, he's been very bad. Um, well, I'm just going yeah, off he, of what he, good friend of the show Evan Rawall had to say on Twitter, which somebody but, on this panel told me to do. No, I'm just I, I fully agree. I think that's what the the coaching staff wants. Um, oh, I see. Okay, but yeah, ben, I just Bender really likes Nemeth, but I think they could even see he's maybe not. Yeah, at full capacity, even for Nemeth, and and Barbario has had a stronger preseason. I don't think he's been given. Or hasn't been thrown out into the deep end as much as some of the others have, but he has looked good in preseason. I haven't so, seen yeah. him much, which for Barbario is fine. Right. Yeah, that, that usually is a good thing. Like I said in the game day thread the, the other day, if you're noticing Barbario in a game, it's probably because he's lobbing grenades. I mean, I I notice him because I like watching for him. I think he has a pretty subtle game, but I, I think it's a, an effective game. Um, but you're right, you know, he's he's not the kind of guy you want to notice much. Um, he has more just, ups I, and downs, I, as I would char characterize it. Like, his downs can be a little, his bad games bad. are kind of really bad. Yeah. But, <laughs> but when he's having a real good game, he can look like, like maybe even a top four defenseman. It's just finding that middle ground. I think Bender loves Nemeth so much because he knows exactly what he's getting from him. Well, I just I, I, I look at that Nemeth Cole pairing as two guys <laughs> out there with two by fours in their hands, and they can't they can't complete a pass to anyone ever. And what I so, think I've learned from preseason is also you don't want Cole to think he's like the Barry of the pair because you don't no. want him. You don't want Cole becoming adventurous. So. No, adventurous. When he pinches, yeah, when he pinches, it's bad things happen. I'm just and really hoping like, that Ian Cole has had some veteran preseasonitis, just from what I've seen, because it's been a little bit kind of, especially like when they've been killing penalties and stuff, they'll just kind of drift into the corner and you just cock your head, like, where are you going, bud? Yeah. <laughs> the thing that's bothered me most about him is that he's gotten to the red lines many times, well, I've, several times that I've seen, with a teammate nearby and open and dumped it, and that's just... You know, you can't do that. Makes you want to you know, scream. It's like the abs right. The abs have guys that, that are speedy and good puck handlers and can gain the zone without having to dump and chase. And I don't mind the dump and chase, but I, I just, you know, I want to see a dump and chase maybe one out of four 
at best. Um, you know, one out of three, maybe, but it's just, it doesn't work that well in 2018. So yeah, that sounds good to me. Right. Well, I just, I, I like getting, I, I, I think there's value in getting the puck behind the defense. You know, it depends on who you're playing. If you're playing a slow team, I like the dump and chase a little bit more. If you're playing a quick team, I, I hate it a lot. But it just, you know, I, I, I see that mentality where like, oh, I'm at the red line and boom, here you go. And it's just, you know, you really, if you do have an open teammate nearby, just, just give it to him and then you can leave. I guess we have to have the Lindholm conversation. Nah. Probably, <laughs> we have to do it. <laughs> yeah. This is probably as good as any. Just what are they going to do with him? Are, are they really going to keep him? as maybe the eighth and shuffle the forwards around a little bit more, but they really can't because they already need one extra. They can only do that for so long, yeah. I don't think they need two extra forwards, so I don't think it's a big deal to keep them as an eighth guy as long as they don't play him much. And (laughs) I know they don't like doing that, but it's like, you know, he's work. he's, he's, I don't know. Was he worse than Nemeth? He probably was, wasn't he? I don't remember. It's been a long time since he existed. The problem is, because he only played in one game, and he was not good. Yeah, but that was the I'm game against Minnesota, game. and he was Sam's partner, and he was just, oh, God. Yeah, he was not good, and then he got hurt early, I think, in the Vegas game. And I think Bednar which, thinks that that game was the best game the team played, which is awesome, because that's the one game that nobody got to see. The and Vegas then, game? Yeah, the one in well, Vegas. He played ten. He he, only, he got hurt ten minutes into the game. No, I know he wasn't part of that. I was just yeah digressing there for. He a was second. there though. <laughs> 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 that that's that plus minus for you right there. <laughs> but, <laughs> on the roster for wins or losses. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but he was tangentially <laughs> associated with the best game they played. So there you go. Yeah, and then. You know, if you really believe in, like, are they worried about him wanting to bail to Sweden if they really send him to the AHL or not? And, you know, I wonder if they're going to kind of do what they did with Mirana last year where they kind of humor him for a bit, but at some point he's just going to have to go down and live with it. Yeah, he's not going to find borscht. He's not going to get his massages, and he's going to just go home. <laughs> we do have IKEA. He can get a sweet, a Swedish effect. I do remember Lindholm being better than Moranoff, which is something. Yeah. He was at one point, but that's why I say remember. I didn't say he still is. <laughs> this, I mean, Moranoff is reckless where Lindholm is conservative, but it just the puck skills are atrocious for both. Yeah, but we're we're talking pretty marginal guys here, and there's there's uh. <laughs> Just as much intrigue around the margins of the forwards as well. Whether because you've got JT Comfer and Matt Calvert who we're expecting to get plenty of time, but you're all, you're left with kind of like guy as their winger. You know, you've got uh, whether it's Toninato or our our out of nowhere. Where did this? Where did Dries come from? I don't know. I I I know Jackie isn't as high on him as I am, but I uh, I I've liked what I've seen from the guy. Um, He's small, and he describes himself as a grinder, which is apt. Um, but he's got a really good shot, and what I like about him is he he finds spaces that you need to be to take good shots from, and that's pretty rare in the Avs bottom nine. So <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think I he can carve out a little bit of a role for himself because of 
sort of the, his offensive instincts and the fact that they put him on the PK and he hasn't looked really bad there. I will say maybe we overlooked him because it's not like he was a AHL lifer. He, he only really played the one year after his college career. and But he was on an AHL deal, and it was funny listening to the Dallas people talk about him like, oh, boy, yeah. he's still around. Like, they just thought that was hilarious. So, like... <sighs> Well, it's, and they also sounded like, much, you, know. you know, geez, maybe we should have been looking at this guy, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he looks pretty good here. <laughs> so, so I do think us as fans also kind of maybe overlooked him, but we see we see it all, all the time. Guys just get signed for the AHL and, and maybe he's more of like a Rocco. Maybe he's what Rocco should have been, kind of, kind of a borderline guy that they can call up and use and. Like Earl said, he actually has some skill, so you could put him in a fourth line role, but he's not going to be a black hole. I just, I, I think maybe it was celebrated a little bit too much by the media that, hey, he made the roster, because I think a lot of these forwards are going to go back and forth. But uh, he has showed well. I think he could, over the preseason, he kind of passed O'Connor when O'Connor was kind of like the, is this kid really going to make it? But he hasn't played professional at all, which obviously Drees did for one for one year. So um, I think it's appropriate for O'Connor to get some AHL experience if they really want to use him as well. Um, it is a little bit weird that both of them got favor over Greer, the one who they're supposedly developing for this role for several years. But, you know, that's that's a whole other ran unto itself that's a pretty clear um, decision that they've made there that he's just not yeah definitely um so i am with you that his name probably should be pronounced drees and i keep yeah, reading it I that way it in my it's head dries. but i keep hearing it's dries. dries it's dries i just said it wrong and i'm not saying that to correct you i'm saying that to say he says his name wrong it's fucking drees <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you think we see more of Tony Nato or Dries before one of them eventually finds their way to the AHL? I think Tony, I personally think Tony I mean, one of them has to play if Cam can. I hope they give Dries the NHL debut and this and that. Like, he, he's earned that. I just, I don't know if I want to see him for weeks. But... I think Tone and Otto is somebody that, that is like a good 13th forward. Well, it really should be Bork, but, you know, we're talking about realistic care. A mm -hmm. good 13th forward. I don't think he needs to go back to the AHL. I think they know what they have in him. He does his role. We hope he can score at least a little. But I, they just didn't even try him with other players. They just seem to just be really... Solid. Yeah, when they had him with Agazino and Bass, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, they're just not even trying <laughs> to see anything different in him, and that's why I thought maybe he was going to get cut. But he's uh, he's made it this far, and I think. Yeah, maybe in retrospect they knew what they had, so they're just like, you know, exactly. just dealing with these guys. I'm sorry, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I think I think if any of them is going to stay and doesn't maybe do the go back and forth shuffle but who might also be a healthy scratch more often than not when they're healthy is Tony and Otto. And I, and I'm fine with that. Cause I think, I think he has proven he's NHL quality. He, he's someone you want to play as a fourth line center, not just because you have to play someone in that role. And so I think he's the one that ultimately sticks around, but this could all probably all change tomorrow. Yeah. We'll see. I, 
I, I think because, I mean, he's he's not subject to waivers that I think, you know, if, if he's not playing for two weeks, then they're going to send him down. Yeah, if he's not playing, he probably needs to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 think, I think that's a point that... About him playing, though, than the others. Yeah, I, I think Bednar worries about it with everyone. I think you know he's made it pretty clear that if someone's not playing, they don't, you know that they need to play. So either they get played at, at the NHL level, or they're going to be playing in, in Loveland. Yeah. So, so it, the, it depends on how they handle that. With with the skaters handled, let's turn to goaltending. How do you feel about Semyon Varlamov? I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Varley gets the opening. He won night the start. preseason. He won the preseason. He won the preseason. <laughs> Varley gets the opening night start. We'll see how that progresses over the course of the season. For Colorado to make the playoffs, you've got to think it needs to be on the back of Simeon Varlamov because if it's not, that means they have one goaltender. I don't know. I think a lot of people think that Grubauer could carry them to the playoffs. But if and it would probably be a better thing. But if he it's has bad. to, that's a problem. I don't know because it's Varley's net to lose. To be better, maybe he is. It's Varley's net to lose, and if he's lost it, it means the Avs have lost a bunch of games along the way. That's just the way I see it. I I don't yeah. know. I think I think if Grubauer just it doesn't mean Varley has to look poor. I just think if Grubauer looks good, really good, then it's better for the long term health of the organization to give him the net. It's just every single thing the organization has ever done has been it's Varley's net. It was even Varley's net this preseason. There was no competition. They gave him the most preseason games. They gave him the starters treatment. I think it's going to take a lot, but I don't necessarily think it's bad if you look at the end of the season and Grubauer has played more games. Yeah, but, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that because we're going to spend probably the whole damn season talking about that. So let's uh, let's turn instead to a couple of, of Twitter questions we got today. Um from the amazing title of Gur, um, can Wilson bounce back enough to become a viable trade chip nearing the deadline? Maybe even a fourth no. round pick. No, no, hell He'll, no. He will if he will either make himself a decent role on that line with Kerfoot and Joe's, like we've talked about, or he will just walk, and it's not that big of a deal. If he's <laughs> any semblance of valuable, they'll never move him. Right. And yeah. Because his salary. Right, and then his salary is going to be a big stumbling block, and I understand it's prorated, but so will all the other pieces like him on the market will also have their salaries prorated and will not have started at $4 million. So yeah, and they, I mean, whole, even if they eat half of that and it's prorated, I mean, that's still... Yeah, you know, this you're, whole, you're, you're dealing with a $2 million cap hit daily. Yeah, and this whole Wilson renaissance, I think... I, I will say he's looked better consistently through preseason. He's skating better. He's he's able to be engaged and have a better impact. But I think the points have have escaped him. He's not going to score twenty goals. It just think I think if if he's a contributing member of the team and we don't want him scratched or lost somewhere in some road trip in Canada that it'll be a good thing but getting like an asset out of him is just it's way too much to hope for there yeah I mean I think if 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 the, if the abs can get over this entire season 60 games and 20 points out of him then they're, they're doing well I'll hope for 25 especially if he stays with Jost and Kerfoot I think 
But when you're talking about over 30, 40, that's, I think those days have passed him. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, he's never going to play on the top power play unit. So it's just, you know, how many points are you going to get on second unit? Not much. And I don't think he's going to be there consistently. So uh, keeping in line with forward scoring, um, Mystery Alaska has some Mystery Umlauts in his Twitter title, Richard Pohl 95 um, how many goals can you see from Calvert this season? So let's just kind of open that up to be a little bit more general. What kind of production are we expecting from everyone's favorite UFA edition, Matt Calvert? It really depends on what line. It it really but, does depend on his usage, because if he gets stuck with this fourth line, not much. Yeah, I don't know again, his career average off the top of my head, but I believe it's around 20, uh, maybe a little bit more. Pretty soon. Just give me a sec. Stretch, please. A I, recent, I, a recent career history. Yeah, but I, I, I think along with Wilson, if they can get twenty points and sixty games out of them, they're doing really well. So yeah, his, I guess uh, so too. his last few seasons have been 23, 24, 15, and twenty four points. Yeah, He's I think consistently been in the low twenties. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's much. a fair ask. No, he doesn't. His he, time on ice is usually in the under fifteen area. No, but I mean, he he doesn't play that many games. Uh, no, he's sixties plus. It's not yeah. every night, but yeah. it's frequent. I mean, yeah. So but yeah, 60s, I mean, he's not he, 80, he played fourth yeah. line minutes for the last three years in Columbus. So it just depends. Like if they don't, if they get tired of Wilson on the Josker foot line, they put Calvert there. He might, he might get a few more. It's a little more than fourth line. Oh, at least it's a little bit more than a Jared Bender fourth line. I but I'd still say twenty to twenty five points is probably. What you're looking for. Boy, if they don't use him more than they're showing with this current roster construction, 20 may be the cap. True. Yeah. 20 on any fourth line's pretty good. But there may be more injuries. He may default up the roster. So 20, 25, that sounds good to me too. If there's injuries, it's probably him. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah, tempt I, I don't have a lot of hope that... that you know, either he or Wilson are going to stay healthy for more than three three quarters of the season. Let's say um, they just they they're not durable guys, and and Calvert especially. You know, I, I think Tortorella's comments is sort of saying saying he's a guy that that plays a little bit over his head sometimes. We saw him in, it was either the first or the second game, he kept running into double teams and stuff like that, and that's, you know, that's how you get hurt. Yeah. Um, so, um, I feel like we've already covered this question, even though it's pretty good. Dylan, do we expect Kamenev to have any impact this season if he stays healthy? I mean, the the answer to that is, is yeah, depending on what he can actually do in the NHL speed. We'll see. I, I think he can. I think, I think it's going to take a commitment to kind of work him in and get him to to play his game but he has the skill set of these guys that they don't have it, even really in the top lines like he he's kind of a different player from anyone they really have and i'm not saying he's gonna be like a top six guy this year but i mean he's kind of for me he's kind of like a budget miko that plays defense yeah. better budget miko and, and yeah, that's I know that's uh, kind of a crazy comparison, but I I agree he has <laughs> a really the same, crazy comparison. 
<laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But that's why I like it. He does no, it's, play it's, that it's, it's, type of game. He uses yeah. his body the same way. He's smart. He's smart. He can pass great. He has a really good shot when he can use it. He's he he's more of a center version of Miko and play can play a little bit more defense. But so no, I I don't think that's he's kind of a cross between maybe Landy and Miko. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I go with a budget Miko. Yeah, I, th- I think what I mean he needs to get to a tipping point where the the, the staff is like, you know what, we got to put this guy in the lineup every night. Yeah, and he has to, has to create that himself. Yeah. So we, are we ready to talk about some real games? Sure. Yes. So coming up next week, um, Colorado... Well, I guess I should not say next week because it's Tuesday right now. Um, coming up this week, um, the Avalanche Open at home on Thursday. It's a 7 o'clock mountain start against your best friends in the whole wide world, the Minnesota Wild. And then on Saturday, Colorado play at Seven Mountain again against the Philadelphia Flyers. I hope they bring Grady with them. Um, oh boy, so do I. And then the Avalanche embark on an eight-game road trip. I'm not counting the one home game against Calgary in the middle of that as not part of the trip. I'm counting that as part of the trip because it basically is. We go to Columbus, Buffalo, come home, play Calgary, then go to New York, New Jersey, Carolina, Philadelphia. And then we'll finish off the, the month at home against Tampa and Ottawa with then a back-to-back in Minnesota that next day. And then there's four days off. So that's October. That are, sounds fun. Are we set up for a good start here? I, I say yes because I, I think it's good. For whatever reason, it's good for this team to usually get out on the road. It helps them bond and maybe less distractions or whatever. So usually that those road trips to the East are good for the Avs early on that few home games, especially that pretend home game, home stand just to come back for one game and then leave again. The that doesn't quote really unquote help. home game against Calgary at eight <laughs> o'clock local. <laughs> yeah. They might as well be in Calgary for that and, one. And, and then, and it's Calgary. Like, Calgary and, and Denver, from what I hear, are very similar places, so that may as well and then, be yeah, then, then, of course, to go to Minnesota on a back-to-back is just stupid, but, but of course, that, that's how it always works out. I mean, they'll, <laughs> I think they'll get out to a decent start, you know, maybe 500, maybe a little bit better, but I think it'll be all right. What are our highlights this month, other than the obvious Minnesota? Well, Ottawa, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one's the the Duchesne returns that that one's going to be an interesting well also little game. you know the the abs playing down to the level of their competition thing is is something that they, they they really need to overcome it's like that's where the extra four or five points over 95 from last year are really going to come from right you know it's not not blowing it against bad teams all the time but doesn't everyone do that no i i mean it, no, because the bad teams always have really few points. But, um, but everyone, I mean, everyone drops a stupid one against somebody. Yeah, everyone loses yeah. every once in a while, but the average teams lose a bunch of games they shouldn't. And they just like they win a bunch of games they shouldn't. The The difference is between, you know... Do First of all, we don't have to hear about radar. Yeah. yeah, We don't we have don't. to hear about radar anymore, and Buffalo might actually be good, and they actually have some players you might want to see. I feel like that about Carolina more personally. Uh, I can't watch that game though. 
Is it because it's at eleven? Like- is it because it's at one o'clock in the afternoon your time? No, it's because they're and blacked be, out here. You'll be hiking. <laughs> you'll be out on a trail riding a bike or something. Um, no, I, just, this... <laughs> I just look at this month and I see a bunch of like. There's not a bunch of bad teams except I. I'm way low on Carolina, um, but there's a bunch of teams like up, apart from Tampa. There's nobody here is outstanding. Yeah, I am I interested love, to see. That I think Tampa Philly game games are fun home. always. I, I, Oh yeah, I, I think the Avs and Philly match up well. I, I think they're. I, I think those are two teams that like to skate. And, yeah. and they're Bizarro twins in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Columbus is good, but not amazing. Um, you know, Minnesota is extremely average. Calgary is who knows what. Philadelphia is perennially average. The the Rangers could be anywhere from average bet- to yikes this year. Um, like they better, the Rangers are. They better be yeah, the Rangers, Rangers, though. That'd be gross if they lose that game. Yeah, you got two of your former coaches <laughs> coaching against you. I mean, come on. And and then the Devils, who are riding the riding the Taylor Hall wave, and who knows what they're going to be like. There's a lot of opportunity for Colorado to pick the, up some early points right now. So the only yeah. two division games are Minnesota, kind of at either and end of this month. It, it's Minnesota and Minnesota. Yep. So you gotta win at least one of those. Preferably the home one, because that's the home opener. And yeah. The, and the road one is back to back, so it's like, eh. Definitely. You got excuses. They can take both. Minnesota just does not match up well with the Avs right now. And they can keep it that way for as long as they want. Yeah. I guess it's also funny they play Philadelphia twice and get them. That's so weird. Yeah. The, then they don't see them again the rest of the season. I guess they always do that with one team. Like it's usually Boston they play. Right. Yeah, it's usually Boston. They're usually in Boston on whatever day isn't a holiday for most of us at like one o'clock in the afternoon. Patriots Day. <clears throat> no, pre- it's like President's Day or something. Columbus that's Day. That's, that's the People's one. In, day. Yeah, Indigenous People's <laughs> Day. Or the or the Canadian Thanksgiving Day. Right. Yeah. So no, it looks like that's not happening this year. Thank God hate that well anyway um so we will be back in your ears at our normal time for the first time this week we'll be shooting on sunday and throwing it up sunday evening slash monday morning we'll have a couple of home games to talk about and some real nhl action to be excited about so that's cool looking forward hopefully to we'll have gritty to talk about too hopefully and i just want to say before we get out of here shout out to the uh the avalanche website because th- this schedule right now is flanked by Gabriel Landeskog on the left and Nathan McKinnon on the right. 92-29. Nice symmetry. Well done. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the of the symmetric stuff there. Um, so preseason was a lot of fun. Sort of. Um, we learned a lot of things, maybe. And uh, I'm ready. I'm glad it's over. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. Talk about no, some we, real games. I, I've been waiting for this ever since the that awful five nothing loss at the end of last year, um, and I, I think the rest of the team is too. I mean, it. I, I, I think as as fun as it was going to the playoffs and feeling like you actually earned it last year, that you know that that just made them hungrier to start this season, and you know as as fans, you're you're just a lot more optimistic that 
you know, they know what they're doing perhaps this time. So we asked Jackie for her last thoughts, but apparently something was going on in her, you know, real world. I can't imagine what that could possibly be like. Um, but we did ask. She just had to run for unrelated reasons. Thank you very much for listening to this very, very long season preview, preseason wrap show, whatever the heck it was. You can always catch every episode on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio or on MixCloud at MixCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio. We post every episode on BurgundyRainbow.com. We chat about them in the Discord, which you can find the link to on the top bar somewhere of the site. Um, if, if you don't know what Discord is, it's uh, kind of a chat service pretty cool little deal we hang out and just spit at each other all day about everything um but we will see you next week at the normal time talking about normal hockey games thank god keep your head up get to the dirty areas and we will see you then he's basically coming in with a, a, a completely fresh look at everything oh and oh, i'm almost oh. i'm almost while we were talking Hello? We, we missed something what um nhl commissioner gary bettman said tuesday the league's executive committee unanimously unanimously recommended to proceed with seattle's franchise bid in the form of a full bog vote on december 3rd with the plan to have a team in place for 2020 that i i don't know if that was officially announced or whatever but that there was hints of that right before we went on. Yeah, that's TSN pushed the story. Yeah. You may be uh, back that's... now, but you're still muted. <laughs> if you think we can hear you, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and incorrect. <laughs> Possibly deceived. Is your mic? Is your mic broken? Blink twice for yes. <laughs>